This is Jeff Nyquist. This is the podcast for December 3rd, 2008. And with me again is Jan Lemprecht, uh, who's, uh, does, uh, let's talk about your website, Jan. You have, uh, africacrisis.org. Is yes, that right? it's Afri- africancrisis.org and africancrisis.co.za. Okay, very and, good. And, uh, those are my main websites. <clears throat> I, uh, uh, of course, uh, you have a lot of relationships with people in Africa, and you hear things about the United States and about the U.S. military. We were just yes. talking about, um, before we started the podcast, about the changes in the U.S. military. And, of course, uh, in Bill Gertz's book, he talks about how the U.S. military is undermined in various ways, and there's there's political correctness. We have women in the military that have to be accommodated. Um, and yes, that's what, a joke. Eh? It, it doesn't seem to work out very well in, in some respects, and, and it's very expensive. It increases costs. And uh, there's a lot of things. For example, uh, we have GPS satellites, so do officers know how to navigate in the field? Are we losing some of our older skills because we're becoming technology dependent? And, of course, with people like the Chinese who have... Um, they have these, um, what, what, they, what do they call it, uh, where they equalize the, the, their disadvantages. Asymmetrical. Asymmetrical, yes, asymmetrical warfare. warfare, where they'd use an EMP yes. to destroy our electronic communications. So all of a sudden, we don't know how to fight like soldiers used to, and the Chinese who are using old-fashioned ways of fighting are suddenly at an advantage on the battlefield. And I have this quote, again, I'll do this quote from Bill Gertz's The Failure Factory. And he writes, uh, this is the Washington Times correspondent, Pentagon correspondent. Letting down the troops is under the, the title here. It says, bureaucratic bungling and liberal incompetence in the Pentagon has had an even more direct and even deadlier effect on U.S. troops. The problem is that Pentagon bureaucrats have resisted providing troops in the field with much-needed equipment, including mine-resistant ambush-protected vehicles known as MRAPs, Democrats have often tried to use the equipment issue as a political issue against Republicans, but the real story reveals that it is liberal Democrats who are responsible for this disturbing failure. And he goes on to discuss, you know, who's really in control in the Pentagon, and it's really contrary to what everybody thinks. There's some right-wing cigar-chomping general in charge over there. It's a it's a liberal weenie who came out of the Ivy League that's in charge of of each of these different departments. In a lot of cases, this is the picture that Bill Gertz paints at, at any rate. Well, you know, Jeff, the way that you people fight wars and the kinds of theory of war that you people have, you know, absolutely astounds some of us. I was talking to somebody the other day, a, a military officer, and we were talking about the piracy that is occurring off the coast of Africa and and these pirates coming and managing to to capture entire oil tankers. And he was telling me that if you look in the news, that the West doesn't even want to shoot the pirates. They're talking of all these ways of um, using non-lethal weapons to try and scare them away. And we were saying, that what a stupid thing to do, because these people are pirates. I, I mean, in in, in Ancient times, people used to execute pirates. Yeah, they used to hang them. Uh, yes. Pompey the Great, they had a problem with uh, piracy under the late Roman Republic, and they gave an extraordinary command to Pompey the Great, 
And Pompey yeah. went out, and he had this plan of destroying the pirates. It was a military operation because the pirates had become so powerful in the Mediterranean at that time. They were threatening Rome's grain supplies. And here you have pirates threatening the West's oil supply pipeline. Yes. You have shippers who do not want to ship through certain areas of the Indian Ocean because these pirates are out there. Jeff, there are oil tankers that are sailing around South Africa because they're, because they're too afraid to sail up, up in that region. And I do believe that some of these pirates have actually been paid the ransoms that they were asked. And there were articles about what a boom this piracy has been to the Somali economy. So you must know that if these pirates are now making millions of dollars from their ventures, they're going to be back and they're going to be worse. And here are these people who don't even want to kill them. Yet I'm sure that if you shot a couple of pirates or a pirate uh, uh, speedboat didn't return and they eventually realized that all their friends are dead, that I'm sure that would be a big discouragement to them to begin with. And I find it ridiculous that all these navies are rushing here and they can't control a handful of pirates, who I'm sure if you shot a bunch of them, you wouldn't have a problem. And, you know, this brings me to to the subject of unfinished wars. I... Uh, if I look at the conflicts that that abound around the world, especially here in Africa, you have so many wars that are unfinished where neither side is getting a chance to wipe the other out. There, there's no resolution. Everything ends in this armed truce. All the hatred is still there. The guys who would have won don't get a chance to win. So these people remain in a state of semi-war forever. And every single conflict, whenever anybody shoots anybody anywhere on the planet, the first thing you hear is the United Nations and all these Western bureaucrats running to make peace. And yet not one of their efforts at peace is actually lasting. Mm, no, no. And, and you know, this politically correct way of doing things If people had used these methods against a guy like Hitler, then Hitler would have conquered the world. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. If you don't take your... If you are going to have a war, you better have a war. And you better win, and you better use, as Clausewitz said, the most violent method you know to crush that enemy. Because if you don't, he's going to use violent methods on you. And uh, what's amazing is the West has had almost a monopoly on violent methods. It, it it had the first nuclear weapons. It had the high-technology armaments. And uh, now I understand uh, the West is entering into a phase of senescence and weakness with its military. The U.S. military is exhausted from Iraq, by the way. A lot of equipment has uh, brought over there, has gone bad, hasn't been kept in very good repair. Uh, we hear from our National <coughs> Guard armories that National Guard units, in fact, uh, the National Guard unit in my community is going over next month, um, or, or rather this month, uh, that when they go over, their equipment doesn't come back with them. So then wow. you have, have, you're having the U.S., uh, basically the U.S., uh, defensive forces basically stripped of their heavy weapons, uh, bit by bit through this process in Iraq. It's, uh, it's astonishing to wa- watch it, uh, unfold. But you know, Jeff, this is why in many ways I thought that fighting, fighting in the Middle East for America, 
was an, in, an insane proposition because of the supply line issue. I mean, to just supply those troops and keep them there for years on end is costing you people amounts of money that is absolutely beyond belief. It's unsustainable. And, if, and the thing is, what's yes. interesting is that in Iraq, for example, we're ha- basically making sure that Shiite Muslim people are getting a democracy where their majority rules. And as Shiites, who do they look to as their religious, you know, as the religious leaders and powers? Iran. Who which yes, is causing exactly. all this trouble. So basically we just have invested all this money to create yes. an extens- extended puppet state for Iran or, or a, a call, you know, what would you call it? An ally of Iran in, in, in an Arab country for Iran to extend its influence. So we have been basically fighting all this time because we're going to have to bug out. We've been fighting all this time for Iran's sphere of influence to be enlarged in the Middle East. That's and you know, involves. Jeff, a couple of years ago, a friend, uh, uh, um, a friend of mine in Israel actually pointed this out to me, and he said to me, "Do you realize that that the government of Iraq are actually the same kind of people as those who govern Iran?" And he was still pointing out to me that these Iranians are the ones fueling the insurgency there. And that the minute your troops leave, the Iranians will be in, and Iraq will be theirs. Mm-hmm. That's right. They'll be. Yeah. So I mean, it, the situ. In fact, the situation was better when Saddam Hussein was there. Um, that that Israeli intelligence guy, Kami Gillen, actually raised that point. He said that when when Saddam Hussein was there, he was um, what's the other one? The the, the the one of the the Sunnis or the which is the minority in in the Iraq. The Sunnis are the minority. The Shiites are the majority sect in yes. Iraq. Yes. Now, now the Sunnis were actually in power under Saddam Hussein. Yeah. And he was he was saying that actually Saddam Hussein was almost a buffer state because he was busy fighting the Iranians so much. Yeah, that's true. Uh, in fact, uh, a uh, military expert. Uh, I asked uh, before the invasion of Iraq what he thought. This guy is a very shrewd uh, fellow. He's not American. He was from a former East Bloc country. And he said that Saddam Hussein it, it was the best uh, the best thing for the United States in the Middle East, even though he was our enemy and whatnot. He said because he's ineffective. He's a bungling dictator. He he always loses his, you know, his wars against the United States or against... Uh, the West. I mean, he and he holds back the Iranians, and he said, while Saddam Hussein's in power, it might be cynical to say the poor Iranians are suffering. I mean, the poor Iraqis are suffering under Saddam Hussein. But all the countries around Iraq need the Americans because they. All this right. guy's an unpredictable madman, and he could do anything. And he did, okay. and, and everybody believed he had weapons of mass destruction. I mean, he probably did, and they were moved to Syria, but. But while this guy had this, these capabilities and was such a raging lunatic, the U.S. suddenly there was this need for the U.S. and there was this ready money to try to keep the flow of oil going and everything. So when we went in and took out Saddam Hussein, we made the Saudis angry because we were suddenly taking a Sunni power down. We made the Iranians angry because we were right on their border, but then they knew that they were going to win in the long run because the majority population was with them. We we yes. put the Israelis in a difficult position by doing what we yes. did uh, for the long run, and uh, and what have we accomplished? We've spent 
I don't know, a trillion dollars. I don't know what the number is. It's huge what we've spent in yes. Iraq. It's it's absolutely this whole strategy is turning into such a nightmare, and now it looks as if your country is stuck with a situation that the terrorists are winning. Well, you, it's just the case that when you fight a, a war against guerrilla types, the, all you have to do, all they have to do, is just see to it that they don't get wiped out, and by default they will win. Yeah. And the minute and the minute your guys retreat and move out, they're going to be moving in. They, they, their morale is going to shoot through the roof and they're going to be planning even more things than they did before and they'll have new bases as well did you ever from. did you ever read about the Algerian war uh, I read the book by the British writer uh, his name eludes me it's called The War of Peace it's a very long book about the Algerian war and it describes this exact process it's, inc it's incredible how France could be defeated by a handful of of these uh, uh, rebels in Algeria that actually, because of France's mismanagement of the entire affair or, or the dynamic of guerrilla warfare, these people yeah. ended up becoming inter an international force. You know, Jeff, if you look at all these wars, even our own ones, we were defeated by lesser numbers. And I often think that, that a lot of the reason for the West's defeat in these wars, this is a, this is a, you're now actually hitting on a topic that's really close to my heart because having actually witnessed some of this up front and lived close to it for a long time, I've often sat back and thought to myself about why we lost and how we managed to, to actually lose. And I can give you a lot of, um, a lot of my own thoughts on this matter because I think a lot of it has to do with the way that we Western types look at these people. And we are actually breaking the rules of warfare by fighting the way that we do. And one of the dumbest things that we do, for example, is we try to control, and this is what your country is doing, and, and this is what's bankrupting your country, is that you try to control everything. You try to ensure that there is no place where a terrorist can go and do anything. So you try to control not just your country, but every inch of Iraq and Afghanistan and everywhere. But in reality, you know, I've sat back and thought to myself, what would happen if you left those guys to take over those countries? And if you actually retreated and left them to take over large areas because the other thing you can always do is if you were going to fight a war using proper conventional warfare techniques is you could let them gather together form up a force come out of hiding encourage them to come into the open and then you could go back suddenly counterattack, surround them and kill them all and if you look at Rhodesia, for example, when we were fighting, when we were fighting guerrillas all across the bush, because Rhodesia or Zimbabwe is about the size of France, and they found, for example, that they would be fighting year in and year out, chasing this group here, chasing that group there, and killing a, killing a handful, you know, killing, killing a hundred or two hundred a month. And then towards the end of the war, Almost by accident, 
as the enemy was starting to get stronger, they were starting to have bigger base camps and so forth. And then out of sheer desperation, the army decided to go and attack those base camps. And they found that in a morning, you could kill 600. Or in a few days, you could kill 3,000. You could kill more in a couple of hours than you previously could in several months. And all these little military forces actually have no real military value. And they are backward. And we actually are in a very superior situation. But the, the problem is you have to be bloodthirsty. You have to say, you know what? When you get, if, if we fought wars the way Napoleon or the German generals fought them, then we'd stand a chance of winning them. Because there you would be going to kill your enemy, not to go and embrace him. Well, that's the You'd thing. Uh, you, you, th these wars are political. You know, it's, it, it strikes me, and I just read recently the history of the Algerian War. What strikes me is that the liberalism in the West, and it, it goes back to James Burnham's book, The Suicide of the West. And uh, James Burnham made the point, he said, the West created these colonial empires and, and basically ruled the whole world, the West did, yes. bringing civilization and infrastructure to all these people who are living in, in relatively primitive circumstances. He said that, uh, yeah, there were a lot of things that the West did, uh, killed the people, uh, oppressed people, committed injustices, uh, but he said this is normal to history. This is what uh, people do to each other, and if one group yes. of people isn't doing it uh, to the other, the other is doing it to them. And exactly. I think this is the thing we don't understand is that is that there is uh, tribal and civilizational differences between people, and what the 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 civilized world suddenly decided was that their behavior was uncivilized, that the way yes. they had treated people in Africa and these other places was wrong, and that they had somehow dehumanized Arabs, for example, in Algeria they dehumanized Africans. And so on. They had uh, they had uh, done these things, and um, and of course, it, it, it what's really troubling uh, with this is is that now how are we with being the rulers of places like Algeria? How are we going to make the Arabs into Frenchmen? Well, yes. of course, they, you can't. They're not. Some Arabs will be Frenchmen, but there is there's not a creature that's that's sort of. Arab and sort of French. There's either you're either Frenchman or you're an Arab, and those poor unfortunate people that fall between two stools, that are neither one thing or the other. These poor unfortunate people uh, are are in the position of being shot at from both sides. And and you know, the, the yeah. West itself refused to accept the fact that it had taken this by conquest. That it we it, that if it was going to be a moral issue, they were either going to say, okay, we're wrong. We're giving it back to you, or no, we're right. We're the superior civilization. We should make you into Frenchmen, or kill you all. Yes. And they did not. Yes. They could not make this decision. So what they did is they they took this intermediate thing where Charles de Gaulle came up after the crisis within France that almost caused France to go to civil war, and he came over and he said, you know what? I believe that Algeria's metropolitan France is an integral, in, integral part of France, but we're going to let the Algerian people vote on whether they're French or not. And I have all the confidence. Well, of course, they, they weren't going to vote to be French. They were Arabs. Or, or they yes. were the different tribes that are in Algeria. And, um, so it, 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 it 
came about that what de Gaulle had promised the French army and the French people all along was not what he delivered. What he delivered was the liberation of Algeria. And it was a great relief to everyone. But now, now consider the, the, uh, Boudemien, the, the great uh, soldier of the Algeria, saying, okay, now what we're going to do is we're going to start sending our uh, cheap labor immigrants into Europe and we're going to take over Europe. Yes. Um, and that's happening, yeah. Uh, and, it, and of course it is happening. And of course they're very conscious of the fact that they're a different civilization. They experienced the humiliation of being in an inferior position for hundreds of years. And now they want atomic bombs and rockets and missiles and they want to get back at Europe. And the European birth rate has followed, fallen to less than replacement rate, uh, which is astonishing. And the Arab birth rate is extremely robust. And of course, yes. we're seeing what, what somebody jokingly called Eurabia, Europe turning into Arabia. Yes. And of course, yes. so the process that happened in South Africa, I mean, Europeans are going to become a minority in Europe. And just, yes. and, and just as what happened in Africa is going to happen in North American Europe. Now you can say, oh, this is wonderful. This is a, a good thing because now we're all going to be one people. But you know it's what? It's not going to be that way. They're not going to yeah. call the jihad off. Come on. Um, this yes. is the tragedy of human existence. The fact that human beings fight each other because they're fundamentally from different tribes and different religions and faiths and their faiths call them to defend their faith. But the West, having lost its faith and lost its will to reproduce, doesn't want to defend, wants everybody to get along so that they can enjoy, you know, living 80 years and, 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 and having all these shopping malls. And it's not you know, reality. Jeff when when I listen to what you say, it reminds me of some things I read about China, where they were saying that the Chinese, before the Chinese civilization fell, I mean, China was brought down by Britain, which was a small power at the other end of the world. And the Chinese at that point were so civilized that they their bureaucrats were more interested in writing poetry than in knowing how to administer a country or run an army. And so a handful of these British could come with the opium wars and, and with their, their military ways and, and help to break down, this, break down Chinese civilization. Yeah. And I saw something on, on the History Channel recently as well. Um, the little bit that I spotted was about Nero and the burning of Rome. And they were saying that, you know, so much for the whole theory that Nero was actually fiddling while Rome was burning. There is no real evidence of that. Nero was actually fighting the fire. But the worst thing that Nero did was what he did after the fire had been stopped. Because suddenly he conceived of the idea that Rome, which had been, um, which had based itself on military might and power, that maybe they should rethink things and just aim for beauty and things like that. And I think, you know, in, in this world, every country and every nation is a type of a carnivore. And if you aren't careful and you think that you can relax, somebody else is getting confident and is getting ambitious. And whenever people start relaxing, someone else is going to start taking them down. And, you know, you must be very careful with these third world type of people. And I think people in your country have no conception of this. You know, you look on these third world people and you think that they are, you think that they're completely stupid, but they're actually not. They, um, 
They have a certain native cunning to them, and there are conclusions that they can reach without having to go to school, and they are quite well versed. Well, you what know, I, I, uh, I want to in, inter- interrupt you for a second, Jan. In okay. America, we wouldn't dare think that uh, the third world people are stupid. That would be very politically incorrect. We wouldn't dare think that. Um, you wouldn't think that. No, they have well, a kind of moral superiority, in fact, in this country for, for a lot of people because they're poor and therefore, I mean, and I've heard this again and again, they have a kind of quality of life that we don't have because of their poverty. I mean, I've literally heard that. I'm not kidding you. I'm not they, kidding they you. Are closer, they are closer to nature. Well, they have better family relationships. They know what really matters in life, you know. They don't have credit oh, rubbish. cards. You know, <laughs> it's it's well, all you, nonsense. And of course, you but are a European descended person who was raised in Africa. You're part of a, a European tribe that has existed in Africa for hundreds of years. And so you lived among people that were at a at other tribes that were at a third world or lower level, and your country went through a situation where the West forced your country to allow these other tribes to have majority rule over your tribe and what your tribe created, which was a European modern country in Africa, the only really modern country in Africa. And now tell me what this transition means for your country does it mean your country sinking back into the uh, in into the mists of africa it is jeff without a question every day of my life every one of my friends that i speak to in our daily work we talk about who's performing and who isn't who's doing work and who doesn't care you know if you walk around the streets you can you can see the differences between the whites and the blacks and the Indians and the coloreds, everybody behaves differently. You know, you can say what you want about South Africa, but in South Africa, everybody knows uh, what their tribe is that they belong to. If you ask, if you, you can't go to a colored and tell him that he's black, you know, he will take offense to that. He regards himself as superior to black. You know, over here, you can see the difference, but the bottom line is, Jeff, and, and I mean, I've seen it my whole life. You see it in Johannesburg, in all different places, that as the whites move out and the others move in, you immediately see a transition. You see how things change. You see how things go downhill. You know, there is no question that if Europe, for example, were to have a majority of blacks in it or Muslims in it, Europe will operate completely differently. Europe will become like Africa or the Middle East. Mm. That's how those countries are going to become. And your country with all those Latinos in it, your country is going to become like Central America. Because when enough of those people move into your country, they will start changing your country. And I want to tell you something that a liberal friend of mine here he and I always argue, and I want to punch him in the mouth some days. You know what he tells me? He always tells me how he admires China. And he tells me about China, you know, the Mongols conquered China. And he says to me, but you know, the Chinese are so fabulous. They've been conquered by these Mongols, and then they absorb the Mongols, and eventually the Mongols become Chinese. 
So then one day I turned and, and he would go on and on about how fabulous this is. And then I went and pointed out to him one day, I said to him, do you realize how stupid this is? Because first of all, the Mongols were a handful of people. And here's a handful of people who conquered this enormous nation. And you now want to say that that nation is so great because it allowed itself to be conquered by a bunch of barbarians. What's so great about that? You know, but he's always onto this whole thing of how they absorbed them. Now, of course, in China's case, because of its size and population, it could absorb them. Mm -hmm. But I'm willing to bet you that if the Mongols had been larger in number, that they would not have been absorbed at all. And I think that in Europe and America, when you will see that as blacks or Latinos move in in large enough numbers, you will see that they will not become like you or they will not aspire to be like you. Instead, they will be forcing their values and their errors and their erroneous thinking on you. I mean, you people are already starting to have two languages in your country, and that already should be showing you how they are forcing change upon you. Yeah, of course, uh, Mexicans, are. for those of us that live here, Mexicans are very nice, hardworking people. We know them. They, their religion is the same as ours. They speak a European language. When you get, and, and so it's the difference isn't that great, but when you get to Muslims, for example... Who believe yes. in the Quran and the Quran is their political? This is much more problematic. And you've got more than a billion Muslims on the planet, and they their religion is producing this violence. And you look at most of the wars that are going on in the world right now. They're Muslims on one side, Hindus or or Jews or Christians on the other side. But the real point is the death of the West. Why are we not standing up? We know our way of life is good. We know we have a superior civilization in terms of of the, the the kind of goods that we produce and the kind of technology we have and the kind of culture that we can produce. And yet, we do not defend it. We believe that no. all cultures are equal. Ours is equal among many. And we are putting our own culture and our own achievements into the dark and saying, oh, these people will feel bad if we... But the problem is, our civilization is superior in the objective sense of making superior goods and superior technology. We put a man on the moon, after all. We created nuclear weapons. They wouldn't want the nuclear weapons if they weren't superior, would they? You know, they want them, and they want them for the same reason that, that we have them. They are the ultimate weapon. And um, so it's, it's, it's this funny thing. But I'm afraid that the, that the success that the West has had, the... The financial success, the material success has rotted us. And, yes. and, and in a way, these, these people, these third world peoples have not been rotted by the success. They still have some vigor in them and some vigor coming into them that they can still do things that we somehow can't do anymore. And that is really what sounds the very grim note that civilization may crash, in which case billions of people are going to die regardless of what tribe they belong to. Because the, the the intensive division of labor created by this European civilization is what allows six billion plus people to eat, and you yeah. remove the fine points of that civilization by whatever means, by watering it down however you want, 
The end result is an economic crash in, uh, that is like no other before, and I think this economic crash here indicates that our own sense of civilization is diminishing. We're already uh, weakened intellectually and morally to the point where you know, we're ready for this super slide downhill, which is going to involve weapons of mass destruction, massive warfare, and tribal infighting. And it's going to be ugly. And it's uh, and what what those of us who don't like to see racial warfare, it's ugly, it's awful, and 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 cruelty between human beings. That that's what's going to result: the most incredible cruelty and destruction and killing, ever. Yes, you know, Jeff. Another thing you must never forget when you when you look at these third worlders, you people look at them. Um, from a point of view of oh we feel sorry for them you must be careful what because you don't know what lies in their hearts and i can tell you something my friend that a lot of those people that you people feel sorry for are actually extremely jealous of you to mm -hmm. begin with yeah. and envious. some of them envious. just yes and and the other thing is they may hate you tremendously you don't realize it and you know they they may see your kindness and this this is where your government makes a real is creating a real problem especially when it goes and negotiates with hardcore enemies and terrorist groups and so forth is those people will look on your kindness as weakness mm -hmm. and and they and they will look on your sincerity as stupidity and they will look on their deception as proof of their own superiority. Yeah, so when you th when you think you're being kind and nice to them, they are thinking how stupid of you to give them these things. And you know the other thing, Jeff, is they'll look at you and they'll say, why are you giving this to them? It must show that you are afraid of them. Mm -hmm. And... You know, these these types of thoughts are not lost on those people. And by continually going and talking to them and mollycoddling them, you are making them stronger. And and they are just waiting for the time when they can get you. Yeah, I cannot abide those people that say that 9-11 is something we brought on ourselves by all the awful things we've done in the third no, world that's or in the rubbish. Arab world. It's totally rubbish. Uh, we've we've protected and helped those people. We're important trading partners with those people. No, it's envy. Envy is the most dangerous form of hatred. And hatred, is. Jeff. There's hatred. I mean, look at these Muslims. These Muslims and the things that are in there. You know, a friend of mine um, who was a Christian at one point in time went and got the Quran and started studying it. And then he said to me, you know, you should come and have a look and at some of the stuff that's sitting in the Quran and we were starting to read this this English translation of the Quran and I must tell you my friend there's some vicious and violent things in there oh yes he was showing yes he he was he was showing me stuff that I've never heard people quote before he was he was showing stuff where where the prophet says you must lure the christians and the jews into a trap and then you must kill them mm. and all sorts of stuff like that there's no you know, you can't in any way, shape, or form mistake that for peace and love. No. It no. tells you you have to kill them. Yeah. You have to fight them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the tragedy of the situation. It's like Hitler. We bombed Germany flat. We killed millions of Germans. 
Uh, did we have to? Uh, yes, we did. You know, we, we, ha- we had to fight people who were attacking us, declaring war on us, and trying to build an empire at our expense. You have no choice when people use violent means but to use violence in return. Well, Jan, we've gone past our 30 minutes for the podcast. I want to thank you for being with us here on the JRNyquist.com uh, podcast. It was a pleasure, Jay.